to the Gridiron Show in association with Touchdown Trips, getting you in the game. And it's our week four preview show, a week with the second Wembley game, London game of the season, and a week where we've got not one, but two absolutely stellar interviews to bring you. Paul Richardson, Seahawks wide receiver, and Hall of Fame defensive lineman Jason Taylor. This is the Gridiron Show. Hello and welcome to the Gridiron Show in association with Touchdown Trips, getting you in the game. Don't forget to check out Touchdown Trips online and uh, all the great work that Ben and the team do there. Um, and, you know, get, just get involved. There's so much. I'd like I said earlier in the week, but if you experience live football for the first time last weekend, you've got to get out and try it in America. It's well worth saving your pennies up and going and doing a trip. And a man who will save you plenty of pen- pennies is Ben Mortimer and Touchdown Trips. Also, if you're looking for the best way to spend your pennies this coming weekend and you're heading to the Dolphin Saints game, there are still tickets available for our after party Sunday night Bloomsbury Bowl ends it's dead easy to get to from Wembley you just get on at Wembley Park down to Euston and then it's a five minute walk away Jubilee Line or Metropolitan Line both stop there and actually do you know what I did that trip for the first time in a while that I've done that trip with all of the fans immediately after kickoff instead of after we've done all our media nonsense after the game and actually all that thought that it would take ages to get out of Wembley, it's dead quick. So you'll be at the game. If you don't leave until the end of this weekend's Dolphin Saints game, you'll still only miss maybe half an hour, 45 minutes of red zone action in the six o'clock kickoffs. It's going to be well worth coming down to join us. Your £10 gets you a free shot of whiskey, a free Krispy Kreme donut, a free copy of Gridiron Magazine, and, you know, seven or eight hours spent in the company of like minded football fans watching great Sunday night football. So come and join us down at Bloomsbury Bowl Lanes. We'd love to see you there. Now, for the second show in a row we've got no ollie hunter i'm afraid uh he has may- many many life things he needs to deal with and uh that's you know it just it is what it is he's got to get his house on the market today once that is done he is clear and he'll be back on the previous show and he'll be back this sunday night on talk sport but a man who i was going to say never lets me down but that's just ollie's letting me down ollie is letting nobody down but still a man who never lets us down regardless is matthew sherry hello sir Hey, mate, I think that's debatable, but I'm more than happy to be given that kind of welcome. <laughs> OK, a man who occasionally lets us down, but we don't think does, is Matthew Sherry. Uh, coming up on today's show, as I said, we're going to be hearing from legendary Miami Dolphin and just all-time great defensive lineman, what, a guy who went into the Hall of Fame this year, Jason Taylor, and also Paul Richardson, wide receiver of the Seattle Seahawks, did this interview yesterday, and it was genuinely fascinating. Loads of stuff to get into with him, so really, really interesting stuff. That will come up very shortly uh, but first of all sherry how are you sir i'm good man i've got some defrosted meatballs in the oven some pesto that i've taken out of the freezer and i'm ready to make a great lunch and talk to you about football that is uh, that's a, a joyous thing and actually i very much I'm, I'm jealous because today i'm stuck here in work from like midday through until like 10 p.m tonight and then i'm going out afterwards fifa arrives today and i wasn't at home before the post got here so i couldn't even bring it into work with me and play it at work which i'm pretty gutted about uh so the first time madden will come out of my playstation for about the last two months uh i j- just so uh, i'm gonna end up eating some like tesco meal deal or something so yeah where I'm are you jealous. going out tonight Will? not gonna lie heading out in camden going to ultimate power if anyone wants to join us i mean this podcast will come out about 6 p.m after i've chatted is this, to Jason is Taylor, this the power so ballads night again it is the power ballads night again 
how how is that here again? Is isn't it's, it earlier in the year? It's no no. It's it's every month on the last Friday of the month and. My wife and her friends go literally every month, and I go, like, once every three months or so. Really? I need to head down for that at some point. Mate, you would absolutely love it. You could throw shapes, bang out the tunes, all the meatloaf, all the... Oh, it's just a great night, mate. It's just all the meatloaf night. is a great sentence, regardless of what context <laughs> it's in, isn't it? <laughs> absolutely. So, yeah, come to Camden tonight. Uh, not you, because, you know, child and all that stuff. Yeah. Boo. Uh, It'll be a huge dereliction of duty, sadly. L- lots of uh, lots of positives about your Talksport debut, by the way, in studio. Lots of kind really? words being said by our friends in and around. A lot of people saying to me when I was at Saints practice the other day. Richard Graves listened in. Chat to Mike White, who listened in, and they were all very, very positive on it and uh, and really big fans. So well done, mate. Thanks, mate. I appreciate that. I've not uh, thanked you in a in a public sphere, so I figure I'd uh, I'd get it done. I, 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 the private thanks was enough, but this this is. Warming my cockles as well, so thanks very much. Should we talk, because uh, there is already one of the 16 games of the weekend in the books, uh, and that is the Green Bay Packers welcoming the Chicago Bears to Lambeau Field and just putting an absolute hurt on them. They were 14 nothing up before the Bears had even got a second defensive snap-off. And if you want a comparison between two quarterbacks at the top and bottom of their game, four touchdowns for Aaron Rodgers, that takes him to fifth in the all-time list, level with Dan Marino for four touchdown games what's on the other side of the ball Mike Glennon responsible for four separate turnovers two interceptions a a strip sack which often you don't put a strip sack on a quarterback but he clearly panicked and when he panicked and saw the pressure coming he didn't tuck the ball or throw it away he kind of went to change his read and it all went wrong and then the one where he didn't know if the snap was coming or not it came coming or not it came off his knee went awry it was also the game where Tony Romo, I get that people have been loving Tony Romo, but he, he did have a brief moment at the very end of the game that made me think, all right, he's still a bit of a, a broadcasting rookie. He did turn around and go, well, the Packers might be the best team in the NFL right now. I think it was a bad Bears performance and a, a, a good getting healthy performance for a Packers team still without so many offensive linemen, but... I still, I still think there are issues. The, uh, in the metaphorical sense rather than the physical because I, um, as somebody who owns Ty Montgomery in fantasy leagues, I realise he's got broken ribs and that hit on on um, Devonde Adams was brutal enough that I can imagine he'll be out for a while as well. I, I think he was out cold immediately on the field and I've seen some like Americans going, that's just football and all of that online. The guy is defenceless. He's wrapped up. Trevathan's gone in with the crown of the helmet. I mean... After last week, Richard Sherman should have been ejected from the game on two separate occasions. And this week, there is a rule in place now in the NFL that if somebody commits a hit that egregious, they should be taken out of the game. And he might not even get suspended. He might just get a fine. That was a disgraceful hit and one which deserves some kind of retroactive punishment. It was also an example of of somebody... I was talking to my 91-year-old grandfather the other day about rugby when the news was mentioned about um, them potentially kind of stop and contact at a younger age earlier this week. And he was like, it's ridiculous in very much the classic fashion of a, of, of a 90-year-old man. And I just kind of explained a little bit about the concussion issue to him. And one of the things he said, which I think is one of the huge misconceptions, is, oh, but they have protection from the helmets. And this is the issue with helmets in that they're used as weapons, less so now than, than before. But there's absolutely no way that Danny Trevathan would do that if he didn't have a helmet on. No. Absolutely, and, and that's why whenever people have that um, 
uh, have that debate with me or, or, or raise that debate with me of rugby versus American football. I'm like, the difference is American football is a contact sport. No, no, sorry. Rugby is a contact sport. American football is a collision sport. Yeah. And that is a, that, there is a distinct difference between those two. There is something worth marking out between them. So, yeah, I, I think uh, it, was, it was disgusting. I hope he does get in trouble for it retroactively. Um, but all in all, I, for the Packers to get a, a, a win that impressive when they are missing so many pieces is great. And they've managed to scrape through this first part of the season with all those injuries, three and one. And if they can kind of keep that up and then get healthy as the season goes on, they do have a shot when they get deeper into the into the playoffs again this year, likely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can't underestimate that the Bears would usually play the Packers close. So it's a really good win on a short week and, and a one that they really needed because the schedule hugely tightens up from this point on. And obviously, they've got two very good playoff calibre teams in their division who they'll play four times. So I think I think it was almost a must-win game for the Packers but obviously now a bit of momentum for them as well because of the way they won against Cincinnati. That wasn't a good performance, but ultimately winning in that way can do more for a team than blowing teams out can sometimes. So I think they're riding a little bit of momentum now and you just hope that the injured guys come back because that's what ruins NFL seasons. I am desperate this year to see a Patriots-Packers Super Bowl because it's dawned on me that we may never get to see Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady in the Super Bowl and that should happen, so... Let's hope they get healthy and we can see that at the end of the year. Yeah, next two weeks for the Packers, they're at the Cowboys and at the Vikings. So if you want a week to have the 10 days extra to get your players fit and healthy, this is definitely the one one to have it on. Uh, and then they go, they have the Saints before their bye week. So, I mean, come out of those games with, again, if, if they come out of those games 2-1 and one again and 5-2 and two overall going into their bye, that's a very strong-looking Packers team and I'd be really impressed with that. Um I think I'm going to, we're going to mix it up a little bit, Sherry. I'm going to Let's. drop the Paul Richardson interview here. He's live on Sunday Night Football on Talk Sport this coming Sunday. Me, Ollie, and Greg Brady from midnight this weekend on Talk Sport, and of course, all the uh, evening games on Talk Sport 2 from 5 p.m. Seahawks, Colts at CenturyLink. It's, you know, it, it's a game where, undoubtedly, for a Sunday Night Football, because of the lack of Andrew Luck and because of what we've seen from Indianapolis, I mean, Seattle are currently 13 point favourites. So it's not necessarily the tightest of games on paper. But there were some really interesting talking points with Paul Richardson. Yeah, first and foremost, we talked about the anthems and whether the team are going to be doing something organised. But then his thoughts on the offence and the injuries and everything else they've had. I really enjoyed this. So I wanted to bring this to you first so we can have a bit of a talk off the back. So here is uh, Seahawks wide receiver, maybe the breakout candidate for that offence this season, Paul Richardson. Joining us now ahead of Sunday Night Football live here on Talk Sport, which will bring you the Colts at the Seahawks, is the man who might just be the breakout star of the Seahawks offence this season, Paul Richardson, joins us now. Uh, evening to you, Paul. I'm doing great. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Look, Paul, I want to uh, get into and talk about some football things with you. But obviously, as I'm sure you're fully aware, the story of the anthem protests has hit us on this side of the Atlantic just as much as it has on the other. And I just want to ask you, ahead of this weekend's game, obviously the Seahawks are a team who stayed in the locker room with the game with the Titans this past weekend. Have there been discussions in the group about how you're going to approach this coming weekend on Sunday Night Football? Uh, the, the discussions are ongoing. You know, there are got a, a lot of guys who stand for um, multiple things, and um, there's a lot of things going on that need to be addressed. And some of those things have been addressed, have been addressed, and some things haven't. So, 
it's an ongoing conversation. We'll continue to to figure out what we're going to do collectively. And we saw a really passionate display and performance from Richard Sherman, which may have overspilled. That's for people to decide on either way. But, you know, does that passion and that level, you know, can it affect what's going on in the field as well as off it? Um, yeah, well, I mean, as professionals, we got to figure out how to keep those things separate. Like, uh, I think that he's a, he's an awesome leader, but, you know, um, that, that balance is what's going to help the message get across more clear. Just keeping those things separate, being deliberate and, and what you're, what you're talking about and fighting for and still being able to be responsible and take care of your job on the field. I think you're absolutely right, Paul. Um, let's talk about football then, uh, the matter that we're actually here to discuss. And I want to start off by asking about the game against the Niners two weeks ago. You coming back onto the field after a compound dislocation in your finger, catching the game-winning touchdown. I mean, when you talk about toughness in the NFL, that is something else. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, it took a lot, but I felt like I could go out there and compete and help and make a difference. So. You know, I allowed myself to be available for the team after that happened. I didn't think, um, you know, I was going to hurt us with me being out there. So uh, I felt like I made a good decision. Clearly, you won the game. So uh, obviously it was the right decision. Since the kind of end of last season, there's there's been... Well, even last season, it's been a frustrating time with injuries. Yourself, Tyler Lockett, Jimmy Graham, everyone's had kind of injuries within that wide receiver group. Has it been kind of a support group within you guys to help you each other through what you've been going through? Yeah, I mean, it, it's just some some things you just can't play with, you know, and some some injuries you can. So a lot of the things we try to help each other, especially throughout the work week, balancing out the load. So, you know, if a guy is having something that bothers him that that he can play with, that we make sure we pick up where he can't so we can have the best version of him come Sunday or come whenever game day is. So we do a good job with like in-house taking care of one of another, one another, the coaches make sure that things are going on with guys that, that they're known and, and, you know, they're, they're dealt with according to whatever, you know, they have going on to make sure they can perform at the end of the week as well. But if they have something that they have, they're trying to play with that is going to potentially continue to hurt them, then, you know, that's when guys, you know, can't play or shouldn't play. I mean, you talk about the kind of team ethic and it does seem like Seattle, more than many other places, has a real strong locker room. But I wonder about you personally. There's been a case over the last couple of years, you know, with Russell Wilson being a guy who likes to get outside of the pocket with potentially some offensive line issues, whether it's been rotation, whether it's been injuries, everything that's kind of affected you guys there. You guys as receivers are expected to get out there and do some blocking as well. And and for a guy who's not the biggest guy in the world... You get out there and you get some blocking done, my friend. Oh, yeah, definitely, man. I'm motivated by our ball carriers. And I know that um, it's going to come where they got to be in protection and block for us so we can get the ball on the outside. So it's a, it, it, it's, it's, it works. It balances off. You know, we got to do some dirty work for them. They do some dirty work for us. And, you know, it, it's hard to be in this offense and not block. So whatever you have against blocking or if you're not comfortable with it or not confident in it, you don't have the attitude, you know, you can see by who plays and who doesn't. And you got to be able to block to help this team compete as an offense. It's fair to say over the first few weeks, it's been 
a difficult start week in, week out. I mean, you look at the Titans game last week and you guys came out in the second half and you put on some big-time points. And, and maybe if the offense had started firing earlier, you'd have come away with a W. But I, I, I kind of wonder... There's been talk about the idea that it's when you've gone up tempo, it's when you've started to do some like uh, less thinking, more kind of just calling the plays on the field. Is that something that you've seen? Can you kind of explain why maybe in the second halves you guys have been putting up points when you haven't in the first? Uh, no, I definitely agree with that. I think that um, we've shown up, that we have a great success in the, um, in the up-tempo and uh, and it's a good change-up. I don't think that it's something necessarily that we would have to do for a full game, but um, I think it's definitely something that we can that we can continue to use to change up during the game and uh, where we feel like we need it. We did it early last game, you know, and it wasn't as successful as it was when we did it later in the game. So you know, we just we we gotta take what the defense gives us. And um, and just the biggest thing is being in rhythm. And once we get in rhythm, we can go up tempo, we can go regular pace, we can go whatever pace we want. But we gotta get that rhythm going. Can I ask you what it's like to play with Russell Wilson? Because the guy is obviously up there in the top five, top even three quarterbacks, depending on who you speak to in the league. But I think it must be really interesting playing with him as a receiver because he often breaks down the play and he gets out and he scrambles and he's really great at throwing guys open. But what's it like as a receiver when, okay, you've run your post route, you've run your skinning, whatever you've run, and the play is broken down. What do you then do as a receiver to try and make it so that you're open for when Russell sees you down the field and throws that bomb? We all have responsibilities depending on where we are on the field. Guys who are closer to Russell have certain adjustments to guys that are backside of Russell and their adjustments. The idea is to not have you know, too many guys in one spot. So, I mean, even if somebody doesn't go to where you assume they're going in their adjustment, you go fill in their spot. So everybody goes fill in the open spot and are are running and moving because Russell's moving. So we don't stop until Russell stops. I love that. I love that. Um, Russell seems like a guy, I spoke to him at the Super Bowl two years ago, he seems like a very considered guy, uh, whereas you've got on your offense a guy like Doug Baldwin, who seems pretty intense. What's what's Doug like as a teammate? Well, I think they're both great teammates. I think that, uh, you know, Russell's a great leader in his own right and, and how he leads by example, and Doug is a great leader in, in how he carries himself as well, you know, but... Sometimes you need that rah 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 guy, that guy that's gonna speak up and be the voice, and 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 that's Doug. And, and, and sometimes you need that guy that's gonna make sure everything is is all, let you know that everything is all right, and that we got this, and just motivate you in a different way. So, and that's where Russell comes in. So it's a cool little balance. And I want to ask you finally about this weekend. You face the Indianapolis Colts. They've got to come into CenturyLink, one of the toughest places to come and play. But one man that's likely they will have back this weekend is Vontae Davis. Now, with your two touchdowns in the last two weeks, it seems likely that at some point you're going to be going up against Vontae. You've had some great contested catches in the last couple of weeks. But what do you think about going up against one of the very best in the games? And, and how do you prepare for a guy when there's no film this season because he's coming back from injury? Um, you don't really need a bunch of you know recent film on a guy like him. He's, he's really talented. Uh, he's explosive. He plays the ball well. Um, he's a pretty well-rounded defensive back, and he's been doing it for years. So 
Uh, we have a lot of respect for him, and, you know, we we understand what he brings to the game, but I think that, you know, our combined um, – our combined game plan and what we have, I think we'll be fine come Sunday. So is it going to be a big win at CenturyLink? You're 13-point favourites. I think some people might think that's flattering, but do you think Sunday night football, this is going to be the week that the Seahawks already get firing? Man, we our focus is never on the other team. And so I think that we just want to come out and play our football and, and play at, with a high level of execution and, you know, and I think if we do that, then we'll enjoy the outcome. Paul, we wish you the best of luck for this weekend. We enjoy looking forward to hearing you on Sunday Night Football. All right, thanks for having me. Paul Richardson uh, speaking with me uh, yesterday evening, so on Thursday evening ahead of their game this weekend. Uh, on the on the anthem stuff, I mean, Drew Brees has said uh, today that they are going to do what the Cowboys did on Monday Night Football this week, which is take a knee before the anthem, and then when the anthem starts, stand up and link arms. I think that's sensible considering that Brees individually has said that he doesn't want kneeling during the anthem that's i asked him the question at his first press conference here in the uk has your conversations with cam jordan and everyone changed your opinion and he said no so i think that gets a really good balance for the team but the really interesting stuff sherry with paul richardson was on that offense the the how clearly they feel that they need to be competitive against the defense how people sometimes underestimate them how they've carried each other through those injuries, but also how they deal with the breakdown of play from Russell Wilson and essentially turn into what he described as like zone-wide receivers. That sounds just incredible. It is incredible and not overly surprising because we've seen Seattle as one of the most successful teams of the NFL, off script as it were. So it's not surprising. It, it, it does also emphasise how much the coaches are aware of this offensive line problem and... And really, it, I think we touched upon this, I don't know whether it was last week or on the TalkSport show, but at some point they do need to try and get Russell Wilson to be a real quarterback. Otherwise, by the time he's 32, it's not going to work. And I personally believe he can do that. I think he's amazing at doing what he does at the moment. But I think it's a double-edged sword, this, for Seattle. One, it, it, it's, it's a clever way of thinking on the fly and thinking around an issue on the team, and one that will lead to a lot of big players this season. But on the other hand, it does also illustrate how bad the offensive line is and how much they really need to get that sorted out at some point so that Russell Wilson can can be allowed to become the quarterback that I personally think he can be. And, and I do think the run game is the other thing because whilst we've seen some uh, some good runs from CJ Prosize, particularly out of the backfield, while I've seen some good stuff from the uh, rookie Chris Carson, nothing is comparing to Marshall Lynch in his pomp and even with a bad offensive line, a running back as powerful, as heads-up a runner, as north-south as Lynch was, forces defences to respect the run and therefore gives you more options in the passing game and less pass rush and, and everything else. So without that, without the bootlegs and, and play action that you get off a really strong run game, there's that as well. So between the run game and the O-line, it's going to be interesting to see if against the Colts' defence, where well, I just spoke to Henry Anderson this week, uh, the Colts' defensive end, and you can hear him on the um, on the uh, NFL show on Talk Sport coming up this week. Um, uh, kind of talking to him about what they get from what what they what they get from the new guys coming in. Vontae Davis is back this week. That's obviously massive for the team, but kind of. There's still a defense with a lot of new pieces, a lot of new guys in, rookies starting for them at, at safety and on the line. And, and so this is a good week for the Seahawks to try and get 
healthy on offense in the right way, not like they did against the Titans where they're chasing the game. Yeah, absolutely. And the, 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 that is the ultimate thing in this game. If Seattle can get somewhere near where they've been in the past, then I think they'll win the game easily. But if we see a performance from them similar to the one against San Francisco, for example, then it's going to be a close game. Right, should we go look ahead? We'll have Jason Taylor, Hall of Famer, still to come on today's show. So don't you go going anywhere. But um, should we uh, preview the rest of this weekend's games? Yeah, let's do it, man. Let's start off at Wembley. The New Orleans Saints taking on the Miami Dolphins. The Saints currently three points favourites in this one. And that basically comes off uh, the back of that terrible Dolphins performance against the Jets last week. But... I think the difference with Miami this weekend is the Jets really showed up in that run defense. Can the can the Saints do exactly the same? Because if the Dolphins can get on kind of down and distance schedule and be getting second and shorts and third and shorts, then I, I expect their offense to fire a lot better than it did against the Jets. But the, my worry is that the Saints, for the Dolphins, they're back seven against Drew Brees, who has looked almost up there with Tom Brady this season so far. That's where I would have some concern. Yeah, I mean, it's a classic one where how much the, the lines and the betting lines are, are predicated on the previous week's game. Because if it was the week before, you'd have expected the Dolphins to go in as favourites. Mm. So, I think the Jets won. It, it, it's really interesting to me because the Jets did shut them down and the Jets were awful the first two weeks against the run. But I think we all looked at that Jets team and thought, OK, the Jets can be bad in a lot of areas this year. They should be able to stop the run because they've got a huge amount of talent up front and a team that really should be built around that. So maybe it was the penny dropping for the Jets more than it was the Dolphins just being awful, really. And and I think we'll find out a lot more about whether that is the case this week because that Saints defence, they're better up front than they are anywhere else. So I don't think it's the easiest job in the world to run on them. But generally, you would think that Adam Gaze could structure a game plan that's that allows them to to maybe run in obvious passing formations and things like that because they are going to have to cheat and put extra men in coverage, you would think. So, yeah, I think think this is a fascinating matchup and a game that, unlike last week where I was so confident the Ravens would win and we all know what happened with that, um, I think it could go either way this week. I wouldn't want to be somebody betting it either way, including with the lines. And the fact is... Whoever, if there is, uh, if the Saints are forced to to protect against the pass a bit more and they do get to establish the run, we all know what that means. London-born Jayajai, the first player with a hashtag in the NFL, will have a day at Wembley. And I think that's what all of NFL UK are hoping for. And I think a lot of UK fans would love to see it as well. So uh, that's that's going to be a big storyline for this weekend. I think I still just about fancy the Saints, but I think we might end up seeing a bit of a shootout this weekend. Yeah, I could definitely say that because I think the Saints are the kind of team that in most games... They're gonna they're gonna score points when they need to score points. So, and I think the Dolphins will have a much better offensive performance than last week. And I would expect the Saints to keep up with them. So, yeah, I think we'll see plenty of points. Maybe if you are betting, I would go for the over under in this game rather than any specific bets on the teams. 
uh, there are a few really exciting six o'clock kickoffs this week. So, uh, you know, we can talk about all of them in, in some detail, but just to highlight a few of them. This, the Titans-Texans game, after what we saw out of Deshaun Watson last week, after you know, what we saw out of the, 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 the Houston defense in the second half before that Tom Brady drive, and from what we've seen from the Titans picking themselves up and dusting themselves off, I, I this is uh, beating the Seahawks and beating a Jags defense, which you know two out of three games has been brilliant. I, I think this is a really pivotal game four weeks into the season. Yeah, and one of the underrated things, it's the first time we've seen the Texans back at home since the Laden egg in week one with how important that game was for the city as well. So they're going to have a huge point to prove. It's a, already in the season, a huge game in, in the overall context of the division as well. I mean, you would say the Jaguars have a chance to be involved in that division mix now, but really I think we all think that the Texans and the Titans are the two favourites at this point. Well, so if, you yeah, look, a, if, if you look last season, Titans and Texans both finished at nine and seven. The Texans qualified for the playoffs because they were five and one in division. The Titans, exactly. were, the Titans were two and four, but yeah. the Texans have already lost a home division game, so yeah. they need to at least win their next two home ones and pick up some on the road as well. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, it's a huge game for both teams, but obviously, I think a lot more riding on it for, for the Texans as the team with that in-division loss and with the losing record. So, for me, it's the kind of game where Tennessee can really make a statement about just how good they are. And for the Texans, it's basically an early-season must-win game. By the way, I don't feel that we've actually properly picked the early games because, obviously, get involved, gridiron-magazine.com. Get on, do the predictor game on there. Chance to win weekly prizes. Uh, I'm sitting just three off the lead now after a good week Week three. I was five or so off the lead. So, How were you so good in week three? Uh, because I decided with being five off the lead, I'd take a load of flyers. I, really? I, like, I looked at games where I thought, uh... Can I justify taking that team? I just basically, I did my picks on the Thursday night ahead of the Thursday night game and thought to myself, do you know what? I'm going to take me some flyers. And I did. And it worked out big time. Uh, yeah, I, uh, way too big time. I think I got 11 out of 16, which was at yeah. least three more than I should have got. At I, least. I thought the winner this week, last week, would have had about eight or nine. I think they would have had few. 12. Yeah, we had some guys. I, I, I'm going to say this right now, and this is... 50% sour grapes because I picked the correct picks and got them wrong. Um, anybody who got more than 10, you're a disgrace. <laughs> you've cheated the system. <laughs> or you've gone ballsy for the sake of a one-week win and you've done well. Just yeah. saying. Just saying. Absolutely. Things like things like pitching, picking uh, Washington over Oakland were like the ones that kind of, I think, pushed me over the line because that's an understandably winnable game. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a huge win over the field as well, isn't it? Because most people... With, well, that's, I, I often favour the home teams quite significantly in those kind of games, but my continued disbelief in Washington combined with just how impressed I had been with Auckland forced my hand, sadly. So, so far, just to be clear, I've gone Saints-Seahawks. Um, yeah, exactly the same. And I think I'm going to carry on that home bias and I'm going to take the Texans. A big emotional win in Houston. Yeah, likewise, I'd, I'd, I'm going to go with the rule I've just said of of picking the home team in the really big spot there. And they were really impressive last week, and great to see Deshaun Watson play how he did last week. Now, next up, we've got two NFC North teams, both sat at 2-1. and one. 
in the US Bank Stadium. The Vikings, it's going to be Case Keenum again off the back of that 369-yard, three touchdowns, no turnover performance. You know, making that up there with Sam Bradford's week one performance for Case Keenum last week. Going up against, what are you doing back there? Sounds like you're opening a pack of pasta or something. Um, Parmesan cheese. Ah, excellent. Good. Did you know Parmesan cheese is a protected name like champagne? Did you know that the world's most unaccessible vault is in Italy protecting barrels of Parmesan cheese? Two great facts. Well done, guys. Yes. <laughs> if, if, if Parmesan cheese is not made in the Parma region, uh, uh, when it's known as Parmigiano, obviously in Italy, then it's Gran Padano. It's basically exactly the same cheese, just like Carver can be the same as Champagne, but it's just not from the right region. Correct. There we go. And there's also Pecorino cheese, which is a oh, little bit nuttier. Oh, a bit of Pecorino. Equally, equally tasty. Uh, look, Keenum versus Bradford, Lions versus Vikings. Uh, these are... <sighs> These are two teams who, going into the season, I think I was a lot higher on one than the other. And I think that's going to make me lean towards taking the Vikings in this one in a big way. But actually, I think I've seen more from Detroit than I expected to see. I just think their defense isn't going to be able to handle that hot Vikings offense in Minnesota. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one again because of last week. I kind of lean Vikings. But then if you look the week before at how bad Keenan was... And I'm pretty sure the Lions beat the Vikings twice last season as well. Do you, I do think you know, I'm going to... The Lions are second in takeaways. They have eight takeaways, including yeah. seven interceptions, well, six-plus turnover differential. That's, that, I mean, that's both very special, but also potentially unsustainable. Yeah, I always make that point about unsustainability with turnover defences. But Terrell Austin, he, he might be the best defensive coordinator in the NFL at the moment oh. in terms of... What he's consistently got out of a Lions team that, for all there's a little bit more talent this year, has never been that talented while he's been there. I think the Keenan thing for me changes my pick. I think I would have gone, well, I definitely would have gone Vikings with Bradford, but yeah, I think the Lions might do it, and that will be a huge win for them. A lucky spot with Bradford being unavailable, but a huge win nonetheless. Yeah, Darius Slay's been absolutely brilliant for the Lions. Uh, they've got pass rush finally. Ziggy Unser looking like that guy who we saw a few years ago rather than the guy of last season. Jared Davis, the first-round rookie, making a lot of plays at that middle linebacker position and actually playing a lot of snaps. I thought you might see him taken out a lot of the time in a lot of nickel packages, but actually still appearing in a lot of those. And then... Going on offense, so I'm kind of with you. I don't think Case Keenum can go. I, th- I hate agreeing too much, but Case Keenum doing that back to back weeks, I don't know if that's going to happen. I think the Vikings fall to two and two. I still like them over the course of the season for a better record than the Lions if Bradford's back for next week. Yeah, well, it's Bradford being back for the rest of the year, isn't it? I mean, if they could, if they could get Bradford back next week and win this week, that would be an incredible return with Bradford out. Yeah, hundred percent. 100%. Like um, the kind of one that sets them up for a deep playoff push because that's the kind of adversity other teams might not be able to overcome. Here's a really interesting game because uh, if we see the Dallas Cowboys of the second half against the Cardinals last week and Demarcus Lawrence has an absolute day for himself again, then in theory the Cowboys being six-point uh, favourites in their own building against the LA Rams makes absolute sense. And I think it's the, the lack of Rams defence, even with Sonna Bum and that great line last week that has me saying yes to the home team. But the Rams putting up points last week really got me excited. That Cowboys secondary, 
looked great in the second half, but in the first half, Carson Palmer took them apart. And I just think, you know, they, there was some... They got fortunate in the first half and played well in the second half last week, the Cowboys. I just think the Rams are being slightly underfavoured in this one. Yeah, I mean, I thought the Cowboys were really impressive in week one, but then we've seen the Giants since then. <laughs> I don't think the Cardinals have been impressive at all this season, so... Well, but I no. think the Cardinals were really, like, like Des Bryant being very quiet because Patrick no, Peterson but... completely shut him down. And Carson Palmer in the first half last week, if they got that field goal to make it 10 nothing, or really pushed and got the touchdown in that situation, I think it would have been a different story. But Palmer threw four or five, like, balls that would have looked like Carson Palmer at his peak last week. No, the, the point I was going to make is they hadn't looked impressive before the Monday night game. Ah, so, right, okay, sorry. So, so that <laughs> win, to me, looks better than I thought it would at this point. So the Cowboys are the team, to me, who I really don't know what they are yet. So, And I think, similar with LA Rams in that, I think it's tougher to go on the road and do it, even though they don't have the best home field <laughs> advantage by any stretch. But I think that's t- a game... At, I feel like we say this every week now, but there's, that's two teams again where both two and one. Do we really know what they're going to be from for the rest of the season yet? And I think the answer is no, but we'll find out a lot more this week. Similar to how I think we found out a lot more about the Lions even in defeat last week against Atlanta. I'm determined to bring the sound drops back in. I if the the one element for me is if Todd Gurley can look more like he did against the 49ers versus you know the first week of the season and, and, and all of last season, then that could be the thing that kind of pins Demarcus Lawrence back, that keeps that Cowboys defense a little bit more uh, a little bit more on their toes, a little bit less willing to get to Jared Goff. And I think Goff's made some really good decisions the last couple of weeks, which makes me think that Lawrence will have a more tough time getting to him and getting those sacks. But all in all, at home, I've got to go Dallas. Yeah, I'm going to go Dallas and think that they'll cover as well because I could see the running game getting getting heavily going again. And the only X factor is whether Wade Phillips can sort that defence out in a week, which he could do, but I think Dallas win and probably cover. If there's anyone missing Ollie Hunter, by the way. To the bank. Just a little little taste of Ollie for you. Yeah. Uh, Steelers-Ravens, another great 6 o'clock game. There's a huge slate of great 6 o'clock games this week. Um, and this is great because if you'd given me Steelers-Ravens going into week three, I'd be like, wow, this is the game of the week. I think a lot of people are sleeping on the Ravens because they were so bad in London. Yeah, they are. I mean, let's let's not pretend that the Steelers have looked great either. And ultimately, the, the key to the game for me, is Brandon Williams going to be back? Do we know yet? Uh, there's no. I haven't seen. I know he's practiced this week because I looked into it when I was making my picks. Uh, he was yeah. practicing on Wednesday. That would surprise me. Uh, well, the, the the report from yesterday from Baltimore Sun. He was present at Thursday's practice, but not doing a huge amount. He, I he wasn't taking any contact by the looks of it. Was just operating in drills and stuff. So it, it's it's going to be about seeing the be, practice report today. They push the panic panic button and get him ready for this week and accept that there might be other games later in the season they can sit him in. Because this is a huge game now for the Ravens. This is like knife-edge season stuff because ultimately I don't think they'll have the season that they hope for because 17, it might be more players on IR, is unsustainable. But they will play the Steelers close, you would think. These teams always play each other close regardless of what's going on in the season. They know each other incredibly well. The coaching staffs really know each other. And I don't think anybody's about to pretend that the Steelers 
have been much, any great shakes yet either. In fact, I would argue that the Steelers could easily have lost every game that they've played so far. So, honestly, I think this is a really intriguing game as well. And, I mean, we should call it the excuse bowl as well because, obviously, the Steelers <laughs> lost last week because they were the only team who had to be involved in the anthem protest. And John Harbour had the joint worst or second worst performance in London's history because they're the only team that's ever had to come over here and play. So, yeah, it could be the excuse bowl, this one. This is great banter. I love the it excuse really bowl. It really is. <laughs> that, the, the excuse bowl is a great name for this game. It's exactly what I'm going to call it on TalkSport this Sunday night. So apologies to listeners of this show who will also be listening then. <laughs> You're going to hear the same joke recycled. I may even give the credit to Matt Sherry live on air. We'll see how kind I'm feeling. Uh, I've had too much credit recently. I, I, do you know what? I'm going to take a Ravens bounce back after London last week. An it's emotional bounce back. It's gonna, I'm, I'm taking it. It's what I'm going with. And, and the game is in Baltimore. It is M&T, yeah. Yeah, I'm going Ravens as well. Oh, come on, man. I thought that might be one we disagreed on. I, you know I can't really pick the Steelers. I just I don't, <laughs> I don't like a huge... I, I like everything about the organisation except for the head coach. It really irritates me at this point. Uh, of the other six o'clock kickoffs, there's still a few for us to touch on, including the bit, the... Uh, biggest favourites of the early kickoffs this week, the New England Patriots welcoming uh, Cam Newton into the building. Deshaun Watson gave them some fits and starts on defence last week, being a mobile quarterback, and actually had the game that made me look at him and go, oh, they might have something really special in this guy. But Cam Newton, whilst he's mobile, and that is a problem for you, does not look good throwing the ball so far. And unless he's had a big improvement in that this week, I understand why they're such big favourites. I, I kind of understand it, but it is getting to the point now where these Patriots lines are, are built on on reputation rather than performance. Yeah, because absolutely. if you look at if you look at the matchup, New England struggle with running quarterbacks. That is not just this season; they have done for the last five years. It's it, it's because they they try to play it so negatively. So they won't go in man to man, which is clearly what they're best doing on defense. Which is why, in the end. I'm not that concerned about the defence because they're not playing man-to-man fully. They did a lot against the Saints when they performed really well on defence. But they'll play zone because they're terrified that in man-to-man, if Cam Newton breaks past the line, there's nobody to tackle him. So they'll play it negatively, which means that some of the windows that these quarterbacks are thrown into are huge. And we all know the modern quarterback can pick apart a zone defence. So... Unless they change that approach, I can see Carolina scoring some points. I, I Their defence is obviously really good. I, th- I don't think the Patriots are guaranteed to cover the spread. I think they'll win the game, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's a close game like last week. I think we'll see. A, I, I think you're right. I think we'll see a bounce back performance from the Panthers' defence in particular. And actually, yes, Tom Brady was, has been brilliant through the last two weeks, but he was left a lot more by that Texan secondary than I think any of us expected. Maybe the loss of AJ Bouye is being felt more than we thought over the first couple of weeks because Hogan was so wide open and I know he's seven eleven or whatever they call him and, and that's what he's very good at is getting open late in downs but so open. He was like Jordy, Jordy Nelson only, on that fourth touchdown would, last night open. The only thing I would say on that Periods.com do something called the Bellastrader where he breaks down players from the game there's an incredible video of that Chris Hogan touchdown that if anybody wants to get deeper inside the game and probably realise why the Patriots are so good, then look at that. Because what Bill Belichick basically explains 
is Josh McDaniel saw, saw something in the coverage during the game in terms of how the cornerback cheated and they designed that play on the fly and that's why it was so wide open and Belichick breaks down both players. It's really, it's a great watch even for non-Patriots fans so there might be a reason for that specific play and I urge people to watch that video. Beautiful stuff uh, and just at the repeated mentions of Belichick. Are you saying boor boorns? <laughs> I was saying boorns. Because he is the Mr. Burns of the NFL, I've decided. What, 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 <laughs> why are we not doing more of this? It's I great. don't know. It's because Ollie is far too busy. And like While he's in here, I'm convinced he's doing just his normal job rather than uh, getting involved in the show. Um, look, uh, oh, oh my God. I've just had an email back. FIFA might not be here till Monday. Oh, my God. Uh, genuinely, I've got tomorrow off and I'm devastated. What am I going to do with my Saturday now? Am I going to have to spend time with my wife? Well, Saturday morning you should be watching USC Washington State, which takes place tonight. All right, I guess. Still not happy about it. Uh, let's rattle through the rest of the six o'clock. Jags at Jets. I mean, momentum coming out of London is obviously massive, but the Jets obviously were very, very impressive against the Dolphins. Is there anything that just makes you think that that? If New York can do what they did to Leonard Fournette, what they did to Jay Ajayi last week, that that knocks the Jags off schedule enough that that we'll see uh, a, a second upset in a row? Yeah, potentially, because we saw how terrible they were after a win against Tennessee. But you would think that the Jags' defence is so good that the Jets might not even get 20 offensive yards. So hopefully the, Jag, the Jags are going to be 3-1, and one, which sounds astonishing. <laughs> I'm taking the Jags. Uh, yeah, mate, likewise. Uh, I'm also taking the Falcons. They're going to go four and zero at home to the Bills. Even though the Bills last week looked great against the Broncos, uh, they're coming up against the most talent-rich team in the NFC, and, and I just think that that's too big a task for them. I'm going to set an early storyline for you. That I've not looked at their schedule beyond this week, but the Falcons travel to Foxborough in about three or four weeks' time. They could have an unbeaten record by that point. How fun would that be? I tell you, uh, they go... Oh, well, in fact, they've only got two more games before that, mate, because they've got a bye. So they've got an early bye. So Bills home this week, bye. Which is a win. Dolphins home. Patriots. Yeah, that's it. The, the, so what, what is that? That means they're going to be 5-0 and going to Foxborough. Their circle that now is the absolute game of the season. Can't wait for that. And guess what? That where you'll be able to hear that game? Live on TalkSport, 1am. Does that happen to be one of the Wembley, one of the Twickenham weeks? That is a Twickenham week, yeah. That's the week of the Cards-Rams game, and it's the Sunday night football game that week. Is Cards-Rams the 6 o'clock game? Yeah, that's the the one late kickoff. yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you you want to come and do the overnight at TalkSport, mate, and, you know, we'll sort you out with... uh, You can come back and snooze at mine before heading home on the Monday. It could happen. Might look at that, like... It could happen. Could break down on air if the if the Falcons play the way they have recently and the Patriots play the way they <laughs> oh, have. Oh, yeah, actually, I don't know if I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll just get you on the phone for 10 minutes instead. <laughs> um, uh, the uh, t- two teams searching for their first win of the season, Bengals at Browns. Are we finally giving the Browns a win? <sighs> well, I mean, not... not Really, I, I've picked the Browns, but this is hugely done with my heart rather than my head because I genuinely think the Bengals are going to win. Yeah, I've taken the Bengals. Um, yeah. I think they, oh. they they showed enough in the first half against Green Bay that they're going to beat the Browns. You would think so, but uh, let's hope. 
The, the Browns have been playing this kind of weird thing where the, the, the rookie safety that they got this year, the um, Jabril Peppers, Jabril Peppers, super talented, does a lot. They've been kind of playing him as a single high deep safety, and that's been yeah, a weird. He look can't for do them. it. Um, he can't do it. And so I think AJ Green might have a field day. Peppers, that's the that was the big knock on him coming out of the draft is is he was hidden at times by Michigan, and I love him playmaker, but. I did never, never thought for one minute he could go in and be a single high safety. And certainly, maybe he will be in three years, but I just can't see it. Uh, shall we? I'll tell you what we could do here. Before we get into the last four or five games of the weekend, shall we hear from Jason Taylor? That's... Hall of Fame defensive lineman. We're going to talk uh, anthems with him, of course, but we're also going to talk about Sunday night football, about the Dolphins at Wembley, and just a little bit of chat about, if you, I don't know if you ever saw it, the JT Robot, one of the best things I've ever seen in my life. Uh, of course so, I did. So here is uh, former Miami Dolphin and Hall of Famer Jason Taylor. So delighted to be joined on the show now by a man who you'll have heard on our Sunday night football coverage as our colour commentator, certainly over the last two weeks. But if you're an NFL fan, you'll absolutely know who this man is anyway. Uh, entered the Hall of Fame this year, legendary Dolphin, with the Dolphins coming over to London this weekend, of course. It is Jason Taylor. Uh, hello, Jason. How's it going? Going very well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No worries. Really appreciate you giving your time up. And uh, well, first of all, congratulations on getting into the Hall of Fame this year. Thanks. It was uh, an amazing moment and great four days up in Canton, Ohio for the induction. And it was a fantastic job they do. Welcome everybody up there. So it was uh, obviously a once in a lifetime experience and we enjoyed it. Yeah, there's very few people who get to experience that. So once in a lifetime is fair to say. It, you might not be the first pass rusher, defensive player, Dolphin or anything in the Hall of Fame. But I bet you're the first player to get into the Hall of Fame who once had a giant robot parading the streets of London. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I know for a fact that's the case. Yeah, I was the first <laughs> giant robot, whatever they made over there, and it was. Um, we played the Giants, I guess that was a while ago. But you know, we had a chance to go over across the pond and and uh, you know play a game in, in London Wembley Stadium. You know, the first first game played at Wembley, so it was uh, it was a great experience. We had a good time and spent quite a few days. I, I know the teams don't spend as much time over there now as. As uh, as we did back in, I think it was '07. But um, you know, the, the UK and you know, London was was very welcoming, welcoming, and rolled out the red carpet for us. And and luckily for me, they built a huge robot. Yeah, it was. I, that's genuinely my really overriding memory of that weekend. It wasn't a great game, to be fair. Uh, although it really showed, I yeah. think, for the first time that that fans in the UK were were buying into the NFL in a big way. But did you ever imagine when you came over to London 10 years ago that it would grow to the point it is now where we've got four games sold out here across two different stadiums? Uh, no, and you're right, first of all. It was not a very good game. It was a, <laughs> it was a boring, sloppy, sloppy game. And you know, we, the offense, we weren't very good. The Giants were obviously a little better than us and, and found a way to win the game. But, no, I mean, it's, it's really grown. We didn't, you know, we saw the excitement and the pageantry and everything that was surrounding the game and when we went in 07. Um, it's obviously grown now to, to the point where, you know, there's four games being hosted on multiple sites now. So it's, it's good to see the popularity of the game. It's good to, it's always fun to see the excitement and the, the passion that, that UK fans have for, for really an American game as, you know, as soccer dominates the, 
the sports landscape over there. But it's it, it was great. And I, I think the more that they can grow and and uh, the more awareness we can bring to the game and do it in a safe way and, and promote the game and, and allow people around the world to have fun with it, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agreed. And well, the Dolphins are here this week. And I know you were meant to be there in Miami week one. Obviously, Hurricane Irma put a stop to, to that happening. But when you consider that now what's now counts as an early bye week, the loss to the Jets last week, it, it feels like just three games into their season that Sunday night is pivotal for them already. Well, yes, it is. And I think even outside of all the extenuating circumstances it's you know, every game in the NFL you only have 16 so they're all they all carry a great amount of importance um, you know Irma messed a lot of things up and, and uh, changed a lot of things for for a lot of people so losing a bye week and changing a football game was the least of, of the Dolphins concerns or any of our concerns there's so many people affected by it still in the Florida Keys and, and throughout the state of Florida and obviously Houston's going through a lot too so it made it more difficult for the football team, uh, but no. Adam Gase is all about no excuses and, and finding a way to get things done. They dropped one last week in New York, which I didn't expect. Um, we're able to rally and get a, a big win out in, in San. In, in, uh, sorry, I almost said it. Almost said San Diego out in LA. <laughs> Don't worry, Jason. I have said it a lot on air, yeah. so it's fine. <laughs> yeah. So they they set themselves up to start the season a little a little hiccup yesterday or last week, but you know Sunday's game was going to be big and. And against a pretty good football team. Yeah, and, and the big thing is, is if they do come away with this win this weekend, it's going to be one of those weeks where, one of those months where they're going to have done probably the most travel an NFL team has ever done in a month, having to go to the West Coast, back to New York, out to London, and then uh, back home for the Titans next weekend. But, you know, if you come out of that period of time, two and two even, then you're set up for a, a, a decent season, despite the fact that you've lost a couple of early games. Yeah, you never want to drop games early, but you know it's, it's there's still time to rebound. And listen, every team in the NFL, including the Dolphins, are still trying to figure out their personality. They're not playing their best football yet, and nobody should be this time of year. You don't want to peak yet, but but find ways to win games, and even if they're ugly wins, um, you, know, you need to stack those up. So it's in, it's imperative that they find a way to to come away with the win and, and play some good defense to keep Drew Brees and the Saints a little a little at bay, but. It, with all the quote-unquote adversity that they've had to go, go through for the last three weeks, it would be great to get to, you know, to come back across the Atlantic at 2-1 and one and have a chance to, to roll into their first home game. And fingers crossed they get JHI going and the London fans have someone, a home talent that they can cheer for this weekend uh, as well. Um, look, we, I want to talk about Sunday Night Football. Obviously, you're doing that game for, for Westwood One and for us here on, on Talk Sports as well. But... Uh, kind of before that, you talked about the adversity and, and obviously the whole storyline this past week, whether you're in the UK, whether you're in America, has been about the anthem protest. It's interesting. I, I spoke with Drew Brees on Wednesday about this. And then today he's confirmed that the entire of the Saints team plan to kneel before the anthem, then stand and link arms during it. I spoke with Paul Richardson yesterday ahead of our game Sunday, the, the uh, Seahawks wide receiver. And he said that they're planning a, another kind of unified team situation and, Kind of regardless of what you feel about the po- politics of it, Jason, how key is it that the teams are kind of presenting a unified front and avoiding there being any any issues in the locker room over something like this? Well, there should be no issue anyway in the locker room. And, and, uh, and quite frankly, I think if it, if it does become that, then 
that there's bigger problems with your football team than than uh, what people are doing for the anthem. So, I mean, I, lo- I love that teams are showing a the unity. They did last week and will continue or, or maybe even tweak the way they do it this week. That's what the game of football is about. You got 65 guys on the team plus coaches, administrators, support staff, and they all come from different places, different races, um, different upbringings, different religions sometimes. And, and uh, football is the ultimate team game, which brings people together. That's what the game of football is at, at its core. So it's great to see that unity. Uh, don't let anything divide you. And and be honest with you, I'm, you know, it, it, I'm so I'm so over the the talk of the quote unquote protest. In the, in the form of protest, and uh, I really look forward to the day where we focus more on the issue and not the not the means of which we we draw attention to the issue, you know, so to speak. Well said, well said, Jason. How are you enjoying doing the commentaries uh, for Westwood One this season? Having a good time, having a good time. So it's uh, you know keeps you in the game, it keeps you around the obviously the marquee game of the, of the week and Sunday nights, and we've had a pretty good. Uh, some pretty good showing so far. Atlanta looked really good in the first game I did. And last week, Washington took it to, to Oakland pretty well, which was unexpected for me. And it was good to see the Redskins in their home stadium get a big win over a good football team. And now I get to go up to Seattle and bring my earmuffs because it's the loud, probably the loudest <laughs> stadium in the league. And they're looking to get a win. They need to get back on the right track. And run the football, get that offense going. So I'm sure it'll be a great atmosphere on Sunday. I think one of the things I've, I've really enjoyed hearing you is uh, obviously your knowledge of defensive football is, is you know, practically bar none based on what you've done in your career. But that Seattle D-line, what they do on that front and what they can get with pass rush on that team, there are very few teams in the league who, who achieve what they can achieve from a team perspective. And you've got to be excited to see that live. Yeah, I, I do look forward to it. And, you know, the great thing about when you do a game like you know the Seattle game and a, and a situation where you know Seattle's defense is, is really good, likes to put pressure on quarterbacks, they, they cover down very well on the outside, and you know, playing against a, a quarterback at Jacoby Brissett that's making his first road start. So what, what better thing than to bring him into your home, one of the loudest stadiums in the league? Hopefully, get your offense if you're a Seahawks fan and get your offense going and get a little get some points on the board and be able to tee off defensively and and get that crowd, that 12th man going and, and try to create some confusion and noise. And, and I, I've seen it in person. I've experienced it. When you're on that field and those fans are rocking and that D-line is rolling, you can't hear it. You can't hear yourself think. And, and you literally, you can literally feel the ground shake and, and feel the, the, the reverberation in your chest. It's, it's that kind of, that kind of uh, atmosphere up there. I mean, and look, you've got two O-lines who we spent the entire off-season discussing whether they were going to be good enough to make their teams competitive. I imagine with what you've seen on film this week, if you were still playing, you've got to be licking your chops over the opportunities to get to a quarterback. Yeah, and the biggest, the biggest factor, and really for both teams, is neither football team, is, you know, the Seahawks nor the, the Colts, are, are running the ball well right now. So it's putting a, an immense amount of pressure on the quarterbacks. And you look at Russell Wilson, who is obviously very experienced and been to big games, won big games. It's and it's even handcuffing him a little bit. They're not getting that rhythm offensively, and I think it's it's imperative for the Colts to get get their ground game going. They've got to get Frank Gore and you know Turbin and Matt. They've got to get those. They've got to get something out of their offensive line and out of their run game to take some of that pressure off, or else people like me that love to rush quarterbacks are going to be out there licking their chops. 
It, it kind of sounds, this sounds ridiculous, but you've almost got to take the, uh, the, the blueprint of what the 49ers did to the Seahawks two weeks ago, even though it's not a very good football team at the moment and they're losing games. They, they cause the Seahawks trouble, like you say, by keeping the ball on the ground, by making sure they establish the run. And I mean, I said about licking your chops, but when you've got a quarterback like Russell Wilson, who is so evasive, who can make those playground plays, if you give him the chance to do that, you should be fine. Yeah, I mean, it, for the Seahawks, they're in good hands with, with with Russell Wilson. He's been through this. He's seen it. He's seen every defense out there. He's seen every pressure. He's handled the big moments. And as you said, being a being an active quarterback, an athletic quarterback, a, a, a mobile quarterback, he can make things happen in, in extending plays. And the Colts need to avoid that. The longer he Russell Wilson's allowed to run around and extend those plays, the more things will shake loose on the back end. So you know, it, it's it's important to keep him in the pocket to, to pressure him with. With discipline, force the ball out, but not allow him to to get outside and extend them. Uh, look, Jason, we've like I said, we're really enjoying hearing you on the radio this year, and and thank you for your time today. And enjoy CenturyLink on Sunday. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. All right, thank you very much. Have a great one, and enjoy the game over there. Jason Taylor, not every week you get to speak with a man who's just gone into the Hall of Fame and is top six, I think, in the all-time sacks and one of the all-time greats. One of the all-time greats. It feels like every week at the moment with the quality of guests that we are bringing you. <laughs> it's, it's, that was lovely, Matt Sherry. I thoroughly enjoyed right. it. Let's round off the show then with the Sunday evening games and Monday night football. 9.05 kickoff. Uh, uh, the Giants at the Bucks. Um, a weird one, this one for me again, uh, in that why is this in a nine o'clock slot? This, this completely strikes me as a game that would get lost in the mire on red zone at 6pm. Yeah, but thankfully it won't. I mean, it's good, isn't it? So I often bemoan the fact that they don't flex more games from 6pm to 9pm. Do, do we think that the Giants have any chance of, uh, of a comeback this week? Well, we say, I think that the Giants showed some fight last week and literally have to win this game to have any chance of doing anything this season. So from that perspective, I think we'll probably see the Giants' best performance in terms of each player performing and really going hard at it that we will all season so that gives them a chance yeah, I, I te- think it's a ma- I tell you what the the concern is and what's maybe not being discussed a huge amount is that, yes, that offense for the Giants has struggled overall, but no Levante David, no Kawan Alexander, Gerald McCoy and Robert Ayers have both been limited, so could be coming into the game with Knox. Um, Yes, I think they're getting Brent Grimes back this week, which I think him and Hargreaves as a one-two with with McLean in the slot. I think that makes them a bit more interesting, but... If they're, lo- if they're missing those linebackers who are such big playmakers, then maybe the Giants can just get an upset and, and just play very simple offence, move the ball, do what McAdoo did when and, he first came to New York. And the key as well, we've, we've not really seen Tampa Bay become the team that we think they are yet. We think they're really good, but they lost pretty heavily in Minnesota last week. They need to bounce back from that. And then they've got the Patriots next week, so admittedly at home, I think that's Thursday night on a short week, but have I just talked myself into a Giants win? I think the Giants have a chance. I mean, I think it's a really interesting game. I mean, I'm a bit of a nerd, so I think everything's interesting. But I could see the Giants have to win, and that makes it interesting for me because you've got a desperate team who have to go on the road and win, and a team who are young we think could be really good but haven't proved anything yet. I am still going to take the Bucks at home. But I so kind of think, I, I've nearly talked myself into the Giants. Yeah, I'm, I'm close. I, I reckon it could be like a three-point game. Let's road test 
the claim you just made, Matt Sherry. Exact quote, I'm a nerd. I find everything interesting. 49ers Cardinals. <laughs> yeah, this pushes it even for me, I must admit. <laughs> um, I mean, I am continuously interested in Kyle Shanahan, and I think there's there's potential there. Watching him develop as a head coach is interesting, but... Three point it loss. Just feels three, like a meaningless game. Doesn't three it? point loss to the Seahawks. Two point loss to the Rams. If this was in San Francisco, I would have the mind to potentially back the 49ers. But what I saw from the Cardinals in the first half against the Cowboys and how bad that 49ers secondary is, I just think they'll have too much firepower, even and with how little can, firepower they've had. And if they can squeak to two and two, then you could see a team like the Cardinals who have a lot of talent on defense putting something together couldn't you so I think it's a big it's a bigger game for the Cardinals I think the 49ers fans should look at the last two games as, as perfect for their season because they were competitive you saw some really good signs from the new regime you've seen some of the players that they've brought in look good one guy who's actually been really bad for the 49ers is Solomon Thomas who mm. I think we were all really high on in the draft but he hasn't done a lot yet so intriguing to watch whether he finally Still not Starts sure about how they're using those guys on the front. They've got two, three guys over the last three drafts who are too similar and don't really fit together. Solomon Thomas they're, is, they're, they're is not, not a strict defensive. Yeah, Solomon Thomas isn't a defensive end. He's maybe he's, a three-four three, defensive, defensive end, maybe. But, but he played the, more snaps internally in college than he did on the outside, and that's where he should be being played in the NFL. Ah! Yeah, so they could do with Vic Fangio back. Yeah, they really could. Like, for the pieces they've got on that line, and then Lynch is a guy who I think you could stand up as an outside linebacker type. Not a, not That's, an ownership that have a good relationship with former coaches, though. Absolutely not. But um, <laughs> So I think that's intriguing, but from a Niners perspective, I think the last two games have been perfect. You've been competitive but lost, and then that puts you right in the mix for the first overall pick. Taking them Cardinals, though. And if we're in the mixed first overall pick, we don't need to go get Kirk Cousins and we can pick one of those top quarterbacks at the top. Hooray for us. Or we can get Kirk Cousins and trade out and get like a lot more first-round picks because of how high everyone is on those quarterbacks. Who knows? Um, Chargers bring the Eagles into StubHub Centre. Uh, and I think this is, a, this is set up again for the Chargers. Uh, we can see the Chargers go 0-4. Wentz really impressed me again last week in the second if, half. If, if they do go on for, then you've got to ask some major questions about Anthony Lynn four games in, and I know that sounds harsh, but I mean, I was I've I've been looking at the Chargers roster at points this week again. It's a disgrace that they're on three. It really is a shambles. Like they've got a really good cornerback group, albeit with Jason Verrett often injured. Two great edge rushers. A former great quarterback who I still think can be viable. He's a, he a is, great runner. He back. was dreadful last week. And I think yeah, Melvin Gordon going out in the first half didn't help that. And if he's fully fit and fu- I, I, this is my feeling on this. If Gordon is fully fit and ready to go, I think I'm going to take the charges to, to pull one back. If it turns out that Gordon is in any way limited come Sunday, I'm going to pick the Eagles. I'm going to switch my pick on Sunday. Yeah, likewise. Uh, Raiders, how have we taken this long to get to Raiders Broncos? What a game this is. Yeah, this is going to be rubbish, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, this it, should be Sunday night football, shouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. They can't flex games until week five. 
That's the first week they're allowed to do it. I didn't realise it. Have they moved that forward? Yeah, it's yeah. Been it, later in the season it, than that, even hasn't it? It moved forward last year, but I just think they should make it. Yo, know, first two yeah, well, weeks, it, keep it as because you know that the early season schedule it's difficult to mess with. But week three, week four onwards, go for it. Yeah. And, yeah, and this would be the game. Uh, this is obviously the Khalil Mack versus Von Miller is how everyone's going to sell this. Uh, but I just Denver at home. Uh, I, give, feel free to give as many thoughts as, as you like on this. Um, I, I think Denver at home, even with Menlik Watson playing as badly as he is, Garrett Bowles back and fit this week, and he was really impressive the first two weeks. But Khalil Mack up against Menlik Watson could turn out to be the mismatch of the weekend. And even so, I think the Broncos at home establishing the run. Jamal Charles looking really good last weekend. CJ Anderson a battering ram. I think the Raiders might be falling to two and two, my friend. Yeah, I could see it, especially because one of the underplayed storylines at the minute is how bad Amari Cooper's looked in the first few weeks of the season. As a guy who I think we all expected to kind of catapult himself into that top five receiver conversation, is dropping every pass thrown his way, basically, and and not looking great. And Crabtree is a is a borderline one second receiver type who looks great with a great number one, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But think of, I mean, the Broncos don't even need to tilt coverage to anybody because their cornerbacks are so legit that they can just match Chris Harris and Akeem Tlaib against whichever of those guys that think is the best matchup. So I think that the Broncos' defence in that building is just hard work for anybody. And if they get the running game going as they have done at home in their other two games this year in that stadium, I think the Broncos win as well. Uh, and then finally, because uh, I think you're absolutely right, I think the Broncos' defence is what makes the difference in this game. And then very finally, Kansas City Chiefs have a chance to go 4-0 and on Monday Night Football. They are seven points favourites against Washington, who were so good against the Raiders. And I don't want to underrate just how good they were against the Raiders, even though Oakland came in and put up a bit of an egg. Their front seven looked fantastic. They got takeaways. They, I thought they were really, really impressive. They got really good play out of Chris Thompson in particular in the run game. But I just think the Chiefs are too strong a roster, too good at game planning. Uh, you know, even just with the extra single day, that's enough for Andy Reid. And, and they played earlier in the weekend, last weekend as well. I just, I do very difficult to look beyond a Chiefs win on Monday Night Football for me. Especially at home. I mean, it's difficult to look beyond a Chiefs win generally because at this point they have, I mean, there's the stat, isn't there, about the best record in the regular season since about 2015. It's or midway through that season. It's the Chiefs, isn't it? By a distance, I think, at this point, because they've started so well again this year. So, really consistent team. Even more consistent at that asylum of a venue that they've got that is hard for any visiting <laughs> team. I, I, I like that description a lot, Matt Sherry, I have to say. The, that, it, it, that's what it is, isn't it? That asylum of a venue. I've seen them even cheer when one of their own quarterbacks got injured in there. Um... <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Asylum of venue. That's from now on. The Chiefs is no longer Arrowhead. It's the Arrowhead Asylum. Yeah, oh. it's alliterative as well. Well, I think we're both picking the Chiefs then. Yep. Beautiful. That rounds a lot us of off. Agreement, but we, 
We we uh, too much agreement maybe, but I think we've done a great job. Let's not forget. Thanks, Matt. Come and join us uh, on Monday for the uh, well Tuesday. Sorry, once we've done Monday night football for the review of the weekend. But most importantly, come and join us at Sunday night at Bloomsbury Lanes. Get your tickets online gridiron-magazine.com. Get your picks in as well. Uh, you are a pick back on the weekend because I. Pretty sure there would have been a heavy Packers backing, but you've still got a chance if last weekend is anything to go on of winning that weekly prize, and you don't want to hurt yourself on the overall yearly leaderboard as well. And Matt Sherry, anything else you'd like to uh, share? I can't wait again for another weekend, but equally, it's at week four where I start to think to myself, we're nearly a quarter of the way through the season, and that just kills certain cells in my body. Oh, buddy. It's going to be fine, I promise. Thanks, uh, so much. Thank you so much then to everyone for listening. Uh, Ollie, I promise, will be back next week. Uh, we appreciate uh, all the love. Keep getting in touch with us at Gridiron on Twitter, particularly through those evening games and on the TalkSport 2 show. I'll be on from 5pm this Sunday night because Nat is hosting the BBC coverage. I'll do the Jags game. Nat will then take over at 9 and then hand back over for Sunday night football. So join us right from 5 o'clock. It's going to be a really good fun show. Paolo Bandini in the studio as well. Otherwise, thank you very much for listening. This has been The Gridiron Show.